Have you been enjoying Philippians so far? Yeah? One of you? All right. One of you has been enjoying it. Well, if you haven't been, I have been because it's been wonderful. So two weeks ago, um, because Pastor Harold preached last weekend, so two weeks ago when we looked at Philippians together, we looked at verses 12 through 18 of chapter 1. And verse verse 18, at least the way my Bible, and so you can see where some translations do things a little bit different, my Bible included these words at the end of of verse 18 of chapter 1. It said, and yes, I will rejoice. And uh, I think we have a slide that says, yes, I will rejoice. And so Paul made a choice. See, in, let me back up. In, in the translation, um, really those words, they, the people when they put chapters and verses in here tied it to verse 18. Really, um, grammatically, it's tied to verse 19. That it's the start of a new paragraph. And he starts off saying this statement, yes, I will rejoice. And then verse 19, for I know that this will turn off my, my life. He makes a choice. Oh, Paul makes a statement. He says, I make a choice in my life. He makes a choice in his life that he would choose to rejoice, to be glad, to be, and we use this word, to be happy, even though we know joy is much more than happiness, to have a life of, a life of being filled with joy, that Paul says, yes, I will have a joy-filled life. Um, he says, yes, I will rejoice. I choose to rejoice. That makes me think of something this morning. Did you come to church this morning, or any day, but just think of today, because you don't have to think back that far, it's this morning since you got up. Did you choose to rejoice? Did you make a ch- conscious choice in your mind this morning that you were going to come into church And when we sang songs, you were going to sing from your heart and praise the Lord. You know, this morning as I was reading scripture before church, I came across Psalm 131, and it says, it's from an, it reminded me of an old song, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord will be praised. And it said, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, the the name of the Lord will be praised. Um, that's, That's a choice to rejoice. That you'll say, I choose, because who knows that from the rising of the sun to the going of the down of the same, the setting of the sun, there's a lot of times you don't feel like rejoicing. But the psalmist says, I will choose to rejoice. Um, and Paul made that the decision. Did you choose to rejoice? Then did you come in with a grateful heart? Because a few weeks ago we talked how gratefulness ties to rejoicing. With a grateful heart this morning for your family. A grateful heart this morning for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That you came in here and there's people here who want to celebrate Jesus together with you. Did you have a grateful heart, a rejoicing heart today that says, I get to go, I get to go to the house of the Lord. I, as You are the church. People are the church. But as the church, we get to go to the gathering place of Christian people. Did you, did you have a rejoicing in your heart today, because what we see from Paul is we have a choice. And the choice we make to rejoice, yes, I will rejoice, um, will affect how you experience your life. Because you can choose to not rejoice. You can choose to look for every problem and every issue and grumble about everything. Or you can be like the Apostle Paul and you can choose to rejoice. And it will affect everything about your life experience. So I want us to do something this morning today. You say, it's only words. No, but words mean something. I want us to say this together out loud. I want us to say, yes, I will rejoice together. So ready? Say, yes, I will rejoice. It's a choice. We make a choice to rejoice. Now, in the section of Scripture that we're going to look at today, 
Paul says that statement, and then he writes about a situation in which one would think there is no way you could really choose to rejoice. He's going to be writing about the reality that very likely he's never going to leave prison alive, and that he's probably going to be martyred for his faith in, in Jesus, and because he's been telling people, and he's, he's going to talk about that he hopes that he's going to be released, but he doesn't know if it's going to happen. That's what the section's about that we're going to read today. So let's look at chapter 1 of Philippians, verses 19 to 26. And I'm going to start at the very end of 18 because that's where the, that's where the sentence begins. It says, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress, for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Now, we'll stop right there. In this section, Paul is writing about whether or not, in the context of what we just read the verses before too, the context of whether he would live or die. Would he die in prison or be released? Yet I will incredibly serious stuff. Yet he says, he starts it all off, yet I will choose to rejoice. Now, when you read something like that in Scripture, doesn't that make you just stop in your tracks and go, I don't need to read any further, and ask this question, how? How in the world could Paul say, yes, I will rejoice, and then he talks about the fact that, yeah, I'm hoping to get delivered, but I don't know if I'll be delivered, and and we know from the context he probably thinks he's not going to be delivered. How can he rejoice in such a serious situation? Well, we get some insight into this as we, as we dig into what he writes here. And what I want to do today is I want to show you a few things that, that stand out in these verses that speak to how Paul could rejoice in such a situation. And the first thing, and it's really the overarching thing of this whole section of Scripture on how we could rejoice in the midst of the situation is this, this observation or this statement. And it's this, that Paul's eternal perspective triumphed over his temporary situation. Paul's eternal perspective triumphed over his temporary situation. Look again at verses 19 and 20 and pay attention to what it says. It says, yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, and the word deliverance there can be translated deliverance or salvation, my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything. Remember, he's talking about, I will, will I be released? So I'm not going to be put to shame in anything. But that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Look what Paul was saying here. Paul was confident that he would be delivered. 
Paul, or, or saved. Paul was confident in it. He said that, that he would be, that would be the case because why? In this text, he says, why? Because he says, the Philippians are praying for me. He said, because of your earnest, your earnest prayer. And he thought, because of the provision of the, whole, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, he said, I'm confident of this because you're praying for me and because of the provision of the Spirit. So he's confident that he would be delivered. That's what he's saying in his text, right? Is that what he's saying? Right? Right. What's he mean by that? What's he saying? Does he mean by that that he's saying, hey, I know I'm going to get out of prison. I know I'm going to be delivered. What that means is that I'm going to be set free out of prison. I'm going to be joining you again soon someday. Does it mean that? Does it mean, does he believe in his mind when he writes that, he means that everything is going to work out well in his situation? Do you think that's what he means? No. You say, what do you mean? That's that's what he said. Because look at the context. Look at the very last thing he writes in 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 the chapter. Or in the, in, the, in the paragraph. He says he is confident that he will be delivered. And then he says what? The very last words. Whether that be by life or by death. I'm confident I'll be delivered whether that means I live or I die. When Paul was saying that he was confident that he would be delivered, he has an eternal perspective here. He's looking towards ultimately being delivered into the full presence of God in the life that is to come in a new heaven and a new earth. And that's how he could rejoice. He knew that his ultimate deliverance was secure. Therefore, come life or death, guess what he could say? He goes, winner, I win. And he rejoices in that. His eternal perspective triumphed over his temporary situation. And friends, this is a really important thing for us to grasp. Because how often do we tie our rejoicing, I will choose to rejoice. How often do we tie that to our temporary situation? Let's be honest, I think almost all the time. Very often at least we tie our rejoicing, I will choose to rejoice over my temporary situation. You see, I think we get a mindset wrong a lot of times in our Christian not in Not on purpose, but we do. I often hear wonderful, well-intentioned Christians look at situations in their life or the life of another Christian brother or sister, and they will state it very clearly. Matter of fact, they'll state it emphatically as if they're proclaiming Scripture. They'll even, like, claim it. They'll say, no, everything is going to work out for you just fine in this situation. And what they mean by that, fine, it's all going to turn out good. God's going to work it out. And what they mean by that is everything's going to get better, that you will have exactly what you want in the situation. So what, how you think it ought to work out is obviously how God thinks this ought to work out, and it's going to work out that way. There is a belief that, that because we are Christian people, that God will make everything turn out for our liking, I believe it's supposed to be that way, so I'm going to receive it that way from the Lord. But friends, that's not how the Apostle Paul approached his life. His eternal perspective triumphed over his temporary situation. Yes, he knew it would all work out well, but to him that meant winning the final ultimate prize, eternal life with Jesus. And as I was preparing this, I was reminded of an old song that I think the Apostle Paul would have 
sung like I do at times, and uh, it's showing how old I am. 1973, who's alive and who was not alive in 1973? Oh my goodness. You were not alive in 1973. Well over half of you. In 1973, a singer named Lynn Anderson sang a song that was very popular. It was called Rose Garden. Whoever remembers Lynn Anderson singing Rose Garden? My kids have heard me sing one or two lines. I know one or two lines of every song ever written in the world. That's all I know is one or two songs. It It says, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden along with the sunshine. There's got to be a little rain sometime. Who's ever heard that song before? Say, Mark, you didn't make your life singing, right? Okay. What's the idea behind that Lynn Anderson? I actually pulled it up on YouTube and watched it. And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a lot worse than I remember. But, uh, but um, what was the idea of that song? The idea was that life doesn't always this, turn up roses. I never promised you a rose garden. That's, a, that's a, a way of saying life doesn't always turn out the way you think it's going to be. You're going to have rain. You're going to, you're going to have sunshine. You're also going to have rain. And here's the deal. The Apostle Paul understood that. That's what he's discussing here. That, that life doesn't always turn out rosy. It doesn't always turn out the way you want. And I hear Christian people all the time say, well, that's, well it's going to turn out good for you. God's got this. Guess what? The Apostle Paul understood God's got this. But he said this, I'm going to be delivered. Whether I live or die, I'm going to be delivered. That didn't shake his faith. It didn't rob him of his joy, saying that circumstances might not turn out exactly how I think they ought to turn out. No, his eternal perspective triumphed over his temporary situation. So he writes, I will rejoice I will be delivered, whether by life or by death. And this is how he could honestly write some of the most profound and confusing um, and words in all the scripture that you say, I'll say it and I'll read it, but how in the world could he mean it? He wrote, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he he just wrote that, and we just read it, and then he wrote this. Having the desire to depart, meaning to die, and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. He wrote those words. He wasn't lying. He's like, I'm in this situation. I don't know if I'm going to live through it. God's got me. I'm going to rejoice. It's all going to work out. Ultimately, it's all going to work out. But he says, listen, but for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, that is very much better. Now understand something. Paul wasn't some depressed guy who just wanted to end his suffering. Paul wasn't this depressed guy with a death wish, who's just saying, listen, I'm in jail, and just, hey, death is better than this. That's not at all the Apostle Paul. What was Paul defined by? Yes, I will rejoice Paul was a joy-filled man. Paul loved life. See, he knew something so important in his situation. He knew that what is ahead is better than what's here and now. That's what the no matter how good it is, and this is really hard for us, especially as Americans, especially in a place like he understood the much. Life is so good. 
He understood, though, even though how, no matter how good it can be here, that what's ahead is better than what's here and now. He knew that nothing in this world can compare with what lies ahead for the child of God. And friends, this is an incredibly significant statement. Think about who the Apostle Paul is writing to, because it's going to have a personal application for each one of us in this place. He's writing to his dear friends in the church at Philippi. These people were people he personally led to Jesus. They didn't know Christ. He personally led them into a relationship with Christ. They're now eternally saved. These folks were the ones at that very moment of his writing that were so concerned with Paul's well-being that they were sacrificially giving to support him while he was in prison. Paul loved them dearly. He loved them the way we love our family and our friends. That's the kind of relationship he had with the people that he was writing for. He loved them. They were like, you know how you say with somebody, you're closer than family. They were closer than family with the Apostle Paul. Still, he looked to the promise of eternity with Jesus, and he writes, to be with Christ is much better. He's saying, even better than being with you. He's saying to be with Christ is better. To live as Christ, to die is gain. Friends, you think about that. Think of the people that you love so dearly. He says, you know what? This is good. But that is very much better. That's what he says. Nothing this world offers is better than eternity with Jesus. Let's let that sink in today. Let's let that sink in today. Paul is saying nothing this, nothing this world offers is better than eternity with Jesus. And of all people on the planet, Paul had the right to say that. Let's remember something about the Apostle Paul. Paul had a glimpse into what awaits us. He had been given a glimpse into heaven. Look what he says about this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, flip back in your Bible, there's a few pages to 2 Corinthians to the 12th chapter. Because so I, I want you to read it with me. I want you to see it with me. What he says to the church in Corinth. It's a little cryptic what he's saying, and I'll explain it when it's done. But, I, but listen, look at what he says. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Now, let me also explain before I read it. He's in a whole section here talking about the fact that if anybody in the world has a reason to boast and brag, he does but he's not going to boast and brag, but he kind of is boasting and bragging about his experiences in this context to say, listen, I have a right to, but I'm going to choose not to. So we're coming right in the middle of a thought here in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So another thing, I'll go on to talking about or writing about visions and revelations of the Lord. Verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf... I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. Now, I know that's kind of cryptic. There's a man who's in the body or not. It's, it, it's the Apostle Paul, and he's writing about himself here. 
He's writing about his own experience. He's trying to say, you know, I could boast about what I did, but I'm just going to boast about my weakness. So I'm not going to boast about the fact that all these, good, these amazing things happened to me. All he's writing about it. So he's saying, it did happen to me. But that's not what I'm going to, he's saying, that's not what I'm going to boast about. I'm going to boast about my weakness. And the man he's writing about here is himself. And he was saying that, that, that of all people, he had the right to boast and to brag because God had shown him some of the reality of heaven, yet he refused to be prideful about it. And here he says, I was taken to paradise. He says, I was taken up to the third heaven. I don't know what that's about. The third heaven, I was there. I don't know how many heavens. He's saying, I was taken to the third heaven. He says, it was paradise. And I heard words, inexpressible words that a man can't repeat. He saw and he experienced some of the wonder and the glory of heaven. Friends, that is why. That compared to what's why he could say that life here and now can't compare to what's ahead. Because he had a glimpse into what lies ahead. Church, Paul was saying what he said, writing what he wrote to the Philippians based on personal experience. And he's saying there is wonder and paradise awaiting those who know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And he tells us so we can understand that we don't have to keep on grasping for things in this world because grasping for joy in this world from things of this world is like trying to hold on to water. It doesn't work that we have something greater ahead. If we get this idea, then like Paul, we can rejoice in all circumstances. But because we know that live or die, situations turn out as we hope or they don't turn out as we hope. We know that paradise beyond imagination awaits the child of God. And the apostle Paul says, to be with Jesus in that situation is gain. That to be with Jesus in that situation is very much better. Think of the joy this provides. Stock market goes up, or what happened at the end of last week? Stock market goes down. You know, I mean, people, because the stock market went down, if I started off and said, hey, buddy, the Apostle Paul says, yes, I will rejoice. And they'll be going, well, that's easy for you to say because you didn't have this much money in the stock market. Stock market goes up, stock market goes down. One political party wins. You believe me, friends, in a couple months, one half the country is going to be elated, and the other half of the country is going to be in the mully grubs. They're going to be just, you know, lower than low. And I don't know which side I'll be on, because I don't know the outcome. One party wins, another party loses. The diagnosis from the doctor is good or the diagnosis from the doctor is bad. These things happen. Yet for Paul, for me, for you, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's think about just one more thing about this. Friends, death is inevitable. Death is inevitable. And as far as I can see through any research I've done, through pretty much all of history, the only culture that tries not to think about death is our culture. We're it. We're the only culture that doesn't think about it, talk about it, pretends it's never going to happen. Literally acts like it's never, like it's a surprise. (gasps) So-and-so died. 
and they were 97. As far as I know, as I can research, I, I can't find another culture who's ever acted towards death the way the Western culture, modern culture, especially because of modern medical abilities, tries to act like we don't have to think about death. But not thinking about death won't change the inevitable. Right? But I would say this. But thinking about it now can change your life today. Thinking about it now can change your life today. Knowing that life as we know it has a duration can help us be more strategic about where we place our values now not wasting our energy on what really doesn't matter, and it keeps us a lot. It helps us live our lives now in light of what really does matter, so that the way we live today, we know it affects our eternity later. In other words, I want to live my life today in a way with Jesus that is going to have the best possible reflection and outcome on my life with Jesus for all of eternity. That thinking about the fact that life has a duration, like the Apostle Paul did, will help me live my life today saying I want to invest my life in the most essential things that will make the most difference for eternity. That's how the Apostle Paul lived. Paul's eternal perspective triumphed over his temporary situation. And this leads us, that idea to the final thing that we notice from Paul as he writes here. How he matters. Moment, in the limited duration of time, he says, matters. So Paul was saying, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this here alive or not, but what I do know is that the best thing is going to be being with Jesus someday. But then he says, But if I am to live on in the flesh, if God gives me more days, this will mean fruitful labor for me, which he says that fruitful labor is. He says that labor will be that he will continue with, he will continue ministering to the people in Philippians for the progress and the joy of their faith. Paul knows that the reason God will keep him around is so that he can help other people, and minister to other people. You see, he understood that his ongoing life was about being a blessing to others. He understood that his ongoing life, if he was going to keep getting days and months and years, there was a purpose behind it. It was for him to be a blessing. And this also speaks to his perspective of life. He didn't think his life was about just this kind of term, I don't use it anymore, living large. Just living large, going, getting it all about me. He didn't think that. He realized that the most valuable thing he could do with the days that he had was to be a blessing to other people. And of course, this stems from knowing that, as, uh, that he has this wonderful future ahead of him. So he isn't scrambling around life trying to just fill his life with something that will bring him happiness now. No, he's saying, I'm living for now and eternity He knows that the future is certain and blessed, so he spends his days being a blessing. And friends, the most strategic thing we can do with our limited days is spend our days, like Paul, being a blessing. Think about how this can affect our lives. The most strategic thing I can do today is to bless someone. 
The most strategic thing I can do today is to minister to someone. The most strategic thing I can do today is love someone. Paul gets that's why, he understands that's why God's continued to give him more days and years. And we get to live, we, we get life so that we can bless others, that we can be just like Paul and we can be just like Jesus. So friends, what do we learn from Paul in his text today? What can we learn about how we can start off? Let's put that first statement back up there. The very first one. Yes, I will rejoice. What do we learn about that? Being able to say, yes, I will rejoice. How do we do that in the midst of a situation where the stock market went down almost 1,000 points last week in one day? 850 or something. How do we say that? When the doctor says the diagnosis is bad, how do we say that? When... When what we hope to turn out doesn't turn out the way it can. Well, like Paul, having an eternal perspective allows us to live in joy today regardless of the struggles we encounter and helps us understand the greatest use of our life life energy today is to be a blessing to love others, which also results in our joy. And I think what we could all do this today and this week is we might, we might we ask God, we spend some time with the Lord and say, God, as I meditate on what the ultimate deliverance is, the ultimate victory, like Paul, ultimately I know I'm going to end up in glory with the Lord. As I meditate on that today, Lord, could you make that promise become more real in my life? Because here's what I think happens. I think because that promise is not sometimes very real in our hearts, it's not that important to us. We don't all have the gift of Paul that Paul had to say, you know, I know a guy, I don't know whether it's in the flesh or in the spirit, but you know what? He went up to the third heaven, and when he's in the third heaven, he experienced things that were, that were just, it was paradise, and the words, I can't even express my words what I saw. I'm not even allowed to express it. But we do have what Paul says to us. So this week, take some time in the scriptures, and spend some time meditating on what's to come. Turn to the end of the book of Revelation and look at the new heaven and the new earth, the promise. Take some time and go to to 2 Corinthians 12 and say, Lord, you know, um, help me to understand the reality of what's to come this week. We do that like Paul as we meditate on scripture about the promises of eternity this week. The Holy Holy Spirit will help us to embrace the truth of that promise. And then what can happen is we live our lives in the reality that what's ahead is better than anything today. And therefore, when things today don't turn out the way we hope they would or think they should, we can still say, and yes, I will rejoice. Because it's a choice we make based on what's ahead God's still with us in the moment. He's not gone. He's not far from. But our world is affected by sin and it has results. And ultimately, every one of us is going to have a last day here. But that last day here can be just the continuation on with the rest of our life with Jesus. So the greatest investment of our life today is investing in your life with Christ today, walking with him today. So all this is another step in that walk. because that's the promise. It's mailable to all of us, but we got to say, yes, Lord, I want to live with you. Bow your heads with me this morning.
Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, here is my request for our church family, those in the sanctuary here and those joining us online. And Lord, here is my request that you would give us a gift today. That you would somehow in our hearts, our souls, our minds, help us to grasp the truth of the fact that really to live is Christ, to die is gain. Lord, it's uncomfortable for us to even think about in our culture. But the, it wasn't uncomfortable for Paul. Help us to, to learn from Paul and have some of the experience from your spirit that the Paul got, that he got to actually, he could embrace the reality of heaven. And it changed everything about how he lived his day to day. So, Lord, I ask for each one of us that, Lord, you would remind us this week, maybe even this afternoon, to spend some time with you in your word and allow your word to speak to us. That we just meditate on the scriptures. We'd meditate on the truth of what you say lies ahead. And that would begin to really um, take root in our hearts. We'd be like, we'd be able to be more like Paul, not grasping for just running from here to there like our culture does so much, thinking the latest thing, even if that latest thing is, is you know, protesting or whatever, somehow it'll give fulfillment, and it doesn't. Running off to doing events, it doesn't. The only thing that brings joy is life with you. Lord, I pray that as a church, you'd give us the blessing, the gift by your spirit of helping us experience, experience life in you today and burn into our souls the promise of eternity. Now as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, maybe you're here, you're joining us online you know you've never taken the first step of being in a relationship with Christ. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about you asking Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. And, and I really believe you can't, you can't ask him to be Savior without Lord. Saying, I want you to be the one that I follow. You can do that today. You can ask Jesus into your life. If you're ready to say that, I'd, I just invite you in the quietness of your moment to pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I need you in my life. I've made a mess of things. I don't have the answers. But today, I invite you to come into my life I'm not going to forgive me of my sin. I welcome you in and I ask you, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I want the old life gone. And I want to change direction. And I want to live now 
with you being my Lord, that I want to follow you. And so on this day, I surrender my life to you. On this day, I ask you, Jesus, come into my life, wash away the garbage, make me brand new, and help me now to follow you, that you would be my Lord and my Savior. Give me all the strength I need by your spirit. Fill me with your presence so that I can live with you every day of my life. I receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that this morning, I'm going to encourage you to do something before the sun goes down. Tell someone that you know is a follower of Jesus that you today said yes to Jesus. Because it does two things. Number one, it kind of cements this moment in your life. And that's important. Because there's an enemy out there, the enemy of your soul, Satan. He's very real and he's alive and he wants to keep you from walking with Jesus. And so it'll cement it and make it real. The second thing it's going to do is it's going to give you a partner. At least one person you're going to tell today. And they're going to be a partner with you in your journey. If they know Christ, they're at least a day ahead of you, a couple days ahead of you, a couple years ahead of you. They can help you. And I'd say this, if you if you, you do that with that person, but also if you don't have a church home, we want to help you too. We're here to help you. If you're, if you're watching us online, contact our church. We'll help you in your journey with Jesus. So friends, isn't it wonderful to know that our future in Christ is secure so that we can, yes, That's what we can say. Yes, I will rejoice. And we can. And it's not phony. Because the Lord's holding us right in His hands. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Pray a blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you, friends. Have a wonderful day in Christ. If you'd like prayer, come forward. I'll gladly pray with you. Otherwise, quietly make your way out of the sanctuary. Go hang out with some people and have a good time celebrating your Christian family. Look forward to seeing you Wednesday night, 6.30 here at church, 7 o'clock online Wednesday night.